Welcome to The Big Interview. The Big Interview from the Customer Experience Foundation is our weekly podcast where we talk to the people at the sharp end of CX and contact centres. The movers and the shakers, the innovators, the disruptors, the people delivering in the real world who share their personal stories of their journey through our industry. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Carolyn Blunt. Carolyn is a director at Davis Learning Solutions and is a fellow of the CIPD. Her career in contact centre operations and people development spans more than two decades and to date she has created and facilitated CX learning and quality improvements for thousands of people across the globe. Carolyn and the 100 strong team at Davis Learning Solutions provide a range of experiences to their clients from one-off modules to vast culture change programmes from long-term senior leadership programs to frontline conversation management, as well as supporting organisations to leverage funded development opportunities through the apprenticeship levy. Carolyn, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Keith. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. So talk us through your current role, Carolyn. Um, so I'm a director at Davies Learning Solutions. Um, I lead a team of people to deliver apprenticeships and we also have a, a commercial learning solution as well um, to help our clients get the best out of their people in terms of skills and performance. So uh, yeah, it keeps me very busy. And you've been at Ember, you, uh, Davis has recently rebranded from Ember and uh, you previously ran your own organisation. So talk us through that journey. Yeah, so it's been quite quite a journey, really. I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I faced when I set up my business was everyone told me I was too young. Um, so I was kind of 27 when I started my own company. Um, and I grew that whilst sort of having children and everything else and merged it with Ember in 2016. And then the entire Ember Group was sold to Davies in uh, 2018. So, yeah, it's been kind of a, an interesting journey, but really exciting and learned a lot along the way um, regarding acquisitions and mergers and all of that good stuff. And now Davies has kind of broken the business up into different sections. So I'm a director in what is now Davies Learning Solutions. And part of that business has also um, got an apprenticeship levy funded acquisition set in it. So for the past year and a bit, since we've been in lockdown, I've been focused on how we can help firms particularly use their levy pot, because as you can imagine, learning and development budgets have got very tight as a result of the pandemic. So using the levy is a great way to develop skills for people. Um, and there's always, I think, been a bit of a reticence in contact centres to use levy. There's a lot of kind of key requirements that make it quite difficult at times, like the 20% off the job learning time commitment. Um, I'm sure many workforce planners would have kittens over trying to manage that. So I've I'm been sure. looking at how we 
can digitize it, make it more bite-sized, more flexible, more online, um, and so that actually contact center staff can benefit from proper qualifications and structured long-term development. And that's really interesting because um, talk us a bit more about apprenticeships because there's quite a few misconceptions about what they are. I'm, I'm sure they're very different now from what they were in the 80s. Yeah, there's lots of myths surrounding apprenticeships and I've had to learn all this stuff myself from scratch over the past year or so. Um, you know, people think apprenticeships, they think young people, they think trades, they think going to college for half a day, a day a week. And it's not like that at all. You can do an MBA, you can become a qualified solicitor on an apprenticeship scheme. And the funding is just phenomenal. I mean, if your firm is over 100 staff, every month into that levy pot and if you don't spend it within two years on your staff development with a registered provider the government will take it off you and they will redistribute that money to non-levy paying firms so those who are kind of less than 100 staff and that means if you're a non-levy small firm you can still access that money and it's just great you know you can do leadership development professional qualifications we're helping clients particularly in insurance and financial services so lots of frontline contact centers personal lines uh, working with Bupa, Towergate, LV, loads of great brands um, and more recently in retail digital banking as well and the qualifications surrounding that um, and all the learning is is done through through virtual classrooms and e-learning and directed self-study on our platform because naturally we've had to move very quickly since the pandemic to make everything accessible online and for people home working so that that learning doesn't stop. Um, and that's been a, a big challenge, but it's been quite good to have that fast forward button pressed on that transformation of our delivery model. Um, and really pleased with how that's, how that's worked and what people said to us as a result. And in the contact centre, are, are these for everybody in the contact centre? Are they just for the frontline staff? Are they for the managers? Who, who are they for? Yeah, there's over 753 different apprenticeship programmes in existence that people can, can look at and choose which is the right one for them. But particularly for contact centres, as you would imagine, customer service specialist level three is great. As a senior financial service customer advisor level three with professional qualifications in it. As a team leader supervisor apprenticeship, as an operations manager apprenticeship. So there's lots of things that, that people can do um, and just kind of find the right programme. At Davies, we only do currently about 23 of those 753 programmes. So we are quite niche and specialist in what we do. But I'm always signposting our clients if they want IT apprenticeships, accounting, you know, finance and HR, marketing, data analysts. I've got a, a little black book of great other organisations that people can go to to spend their levy and get the training and qualifications that they need. And, and what what's in it for the uh, for the, for the, for the companies? What what why should an employer invest in this? I think you know a lot of HR departments have been under a lot of pressure in in the pandemic to try to continue to deliver training and development, but they won't necessarily have had 
all the resources at their disposal to make the transition to rewrite all their materials for digital delivery. Onboarding is another huge area we help contact centres with. And so by using the levy and outsourcing some of the stuff that they may have previously done in in house, like customer service training, leadership, sales skills, um, it frees that internal team up to be able to do the things that are more bespoke to the business, like brand values or product changes and then ultimately it's about increasing the performance and the capability of the staff it's about their engagement their motivation the retention of people that you want to keep um, and really investing in, in your workforce to ultimately improve the output of, of customer service and standards across the business fantastic and uh, a really really valuable um, a, a addition to uh, the L&D world um, so you've had uh, quite a long and varied career. Uh, what would you say you're most proud of? Oh, well, I've got a photo of my children behind me, so I should probably say them, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, in terms of overall life achievement. But I think, you know, in, in the workplace, in my career, you know, I've obviously been very proud of kind of being an entrepreneur and being, you know, a young sort of mum and still having a business and growing that to work with brands like um, Booper and Boots and Next and Argos and United Utilities. You know, that was, that was an amazing project. And then growing a team of people to help kind of improve the skills of, of the staff that we come into contact with. So over the course of the years, me and my team have probably helped the development and the careers of tens of thousands of people now. Um, and that's that's really great. Um, and I did also publish a book um, in 2014 with Martin Hill Wilson, which was quite an achievement at the time. It's not Harry Potter uh, and it's a little bit out of date right now, but it was, it was quite nice to see that on the bookshelf for sure. Fantastic. What would you say the biggest issue is you've ever had to overcome? Oh, yeah, there's lots of things. I mean, like I say, when I started my business, I was told that I didn't have enough experience, you know, that I was too young, um, that I wouldn't be able to juggle kind of having a family and running a business. Um, but I'm quite stubborn. And when people tell me no, I kind of just press on even harder really I think um and I think it's kind of asking yourself well if not now then when would I would I ever get around to doing it so I took the leap of faith I gave back my company car keys and all my IT equipment and walked away from all the nice maternity policies and everything and, and I just jumped off that cliff by myself and took that brave step um and it just through sheer hard work and a bit of good timing that that worked out well for me and if I hadn't have done it when I did it my business wouldn't have been established enough to survive the financial crisis in 2008 um and I certainly wouldn't have had it in a position to sell it at the age of 42 which is what I did so those 18 years of running my own business were were highs and lows um, but I certainly wouldn't change anything about it and I'm really yeah. proud that I'm able to continue working for the new owners and driving the business with the with the backing of some really good investment and leadership talent um, and really kind of power that on even further so yeah the story's not over yet. 
And uh, you, you were in 2012 voted the, the number one most respected person in the contact center industry, which is a tremendous accolade. Um, so share with us where it goes wrong sometimes. What can we all learn? I think, you know, in terms of when you do hit those bumps in the road, and um, it's very kind of you to mention that 2012 uh, poll. I'm sure my mum submitted multiple votes into that. But, um, you know, it is literally when you're recognised. And I think we have to celebrate success because otherwise what is the point? Um, but I think it's also about taking a bit of time out when it's successful or when things haven't gone quite bad to think about, you know, what, what could I have done different, better? Um, Even better if is a question that I always ask my team, you know, after they've delivered a learning solution, you know, what would have made that even better? So even if the client feedback and delegate feedback was phenomenal, let's keep pushing ourselves to think about, you know, where else we can improve and and what else we can do. Um, And I think if we miss an opportunity to learn, we're missing that opportunity. Um, so rather than beating ourselves up and you know getting stuck in a rut when things go wrong, it's turning it into a bit more of a of a learning experience. And I guess being a learning professional, that's kind of where my head is always focused. And what or who would you say have been the biggest influences on your life and your career that have shaped this ambition? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of fantastic people that have sort of crossed paths um, in my life. I think, you know, I've had been very lucky to have, you know, great supportive parents and a great education. And I've had some brilliant um, mentors and, and lecturers and professors throughout my education. Um, in terms of work, I worked with a guy called Paul McGee who was um, the author of something called Sumo, which is Shut Up and Move On. It's his brand of Mancunian motivation. And I studied that in his academy and ended up being really kind of key in Paul's delivery team for a number of years, actually doing stage speaking and listening to people's stories um, around how they pick themselves up from life events and how they achieve their goals and stay really positive in terms of kind of mental health and resilience. So I think that was extremely helpful in a number of of ways. Um, And Paul certainly helped me with book book deal introductions when I was doing my publishing work with Martin who again great friend and mentor Um, and obviously working with Mike Havard has been fantastic I've worked with Mike for a number of years um, both before Ember and and afterwards and um, you know we're still in regular contact and um, yeah he's he's been a great influence on me he's very calm and considered and really intelligent and a great networker so those those are skills I've picked up from him as well. Fantastic. And thinking about the uh, the wider industry in, in customer service or, or L&D, are there any companies or other people who you particularly admire? You know, what are they doing that we should know about or that we could learn from? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. There's so many, really. And in the book that Martin and I wrote, we featured the story of Dave Carroll, who was a musician who wrote the song United Breaks Guitars as a result of a a situation that he had with United Airlines and his luggage. Um, And he put that on YouTube in 2009. And it went absolutely viral. It wiped £180 million of shareholders' value off um, United Airlines stock. 
to date, which is now 11 years later, it's had more than 20 million views and it's still being watched now. And funnily enough, Mike Havard brought Dave Carroll into our offices in 2018 as a surprise. He gave us a live rendition of the song, which was great fun, but it was also a reminder that, you know, consumers in the digital age have got a platform and they need to be respected and listened to. Um, and that goes on and on and on in terms of that digital footprint that, that Dave's left behind. So I think companies have to handle themselves really well and really ethically in terms of customer service because it's the right thing to do not just because they'll get uh, hammered on on social media channels if they don't but um particularly when it comes to complaints and complaint resolution i think you know that is where organizations really need to put their efforts and their attentions um and i think that's really important in 2015 i also had the pleasure of working with octopus energy who are a great utility provider, um, and they were a tiny, tiny, small startup in Soho, um, less than a dozen people when I first met them. Um, they're now several thousand staff, and I worked with the founder and CEO, Greg Jackson, in those early days to really build what his vision was um, in terms of talent and, and skills in the business. And he was very clear, and it was very different and groundbreaking for contact centres at the time, because he didn't want to employ anybody unless they were kind of graduate caliber uh, whether they had a degree working towards a degree or just had never managed to get to uni but they had that aptitude and he wanted to pay them more and he wanted to kind of really put that level of professionalism in front of his customers and they also targeted what they termed digital mums so mums who were working from home around their kids flexibly for Greg doing customer service solutions particularly around social email and chat because they had great written communication skills and I think that was that was kind of really a bit different at the time um, and Greg was really great in terms of not just pay but you know share issues in those early days I think now something like the first thousand employees own roughly five percent of that business and and that's valued at kind of over 77 million now and um, so I feel incredibly proud to have been able to sort of help facilitate that strategy with him um, and really kind of encourage him even though it was very different at the time and he did want to go very much for a, a non um so no no phones really we would have preferred to have kept it all completely chat and email and digital channels but very quickly realized as the business was growing and british gas customers were exiting on mass and moving across to octopus that that wasn't going to work for everyone hence why then they've moved out of soho they have a big contact center in leicester now and um, so he's sort of done that digital journey but overlaid that human touch where it was needed and I think that's the risk sometimes when we try and just stick to digital and it doesn't help us to then deal with complaints or deal with vulnerable customers and it's about getting that blend right um, so I think that's a great lesson and ASOS were, were another brand I worked with who were very similar in that way it was almost taking the traditional contact centre model of phones being the front line and then as you got more experienced you could move into the digital channels and the volumes were less and it completely inverted that triangle 
and flipped it on its head. So all the everyday contact was digital and only when it reached the point of escalation, the minority moved to voice. So I think those 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 lessons have been quite interesting to watch as the industry has embraced technology and multiple channels of contact and look at how we weave all that together really in our strategies and our operating models. Fantastic. That's really, really insightful. Thank you. Um, so we always try to answer the so what questions. So and there's plenty that can talk the talk, but how do we operationalize this? So what are the important elements of a really, really good L and D program? Yeah, you know, how what's important on the ground? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be learner-centric, first and foremost. We have to help people not just learn the information, the knowledge, the skills and behaviours, but actually put them into practice. Um, and that's always been my core philosophy. So you know, when I started my first L&D business, um, you know, I called it Real Results Training, which sounds like a PT now it sounds like something you might do in the gym but at the time it was very much about the ethos of that pragmatic results focus output otherwise what is the point of learning something if you don't apply it or use it in some way shape or form so in terms of modern L&D we're looking at obviously how we can reach people to make that learning stick we need to do that in in bite-sized ways that fits around their job and we need to do that in ways that utilizes technology really well and the data that can come out of that so uh, when um, I was able to kind of have a bit of backing we've developed a tool to kind of check learner retention and learner knowledge um, at scale in a fun way um, and use that data to inform line managers and coaches where those gaps are and be able to kind of then address those in a very sort of individualized way so that we're not just trying to do learning for the masses and try and sheep dip everybody all to one solution, but that we make this really kind of tailored, modular, supportive and practical. And that's got to fit with the goals of business and what are the strategic objectives for the next two years in terms of operating model, client strategy, and then map the learning solutions to be able to deliver on that and that's where it really needs to have a learning professional involved in those strategic conversations and not just be a kind of come to person that they just say oh by the way can you just get everybody trained in this by two weeks next Tuesday that just doesn't really deliver the lasting results that we need. Fantastic Um, so as you know we always like to ask our guests to reflect and help those coming up through the industry today so you can go back to being 25 again or 30 <laughs> what, what advice would you give to your younger self I think it's um, about trusting the journey really um, because sometimes when things go wrong or don't, don't pan out how you would have hoped um, it's hard to sort of see the benefit in that at the time but quite often when you sort of step back and reflect and, and just give it some time something else happens and something different comes along that's actually even better so I think it's just trusting that process trusting that journey not getting too hung up on you know kind of those failures and just um staying quite kind of grounded and focused on the positives so I think that comes from the work I did with Paul McGee he has uh, kind of seven questions that you ask yourself to help you move on from setbacks um, and one of them is on a scale of one to ten where ten is death how important is this 
you know so you just kind of get in that that bit of perspective so I kind of wished I'd had those um, things in my toolkit at 25 or, or 30 um but yeah I've definitely definitely got them now and had the opportunity to like I say share them on on stage and speaking events and in blogs and books with other people which is which is really nice fantastic okay and finally so how do you unwind and escape from it all um, tell us a few things about you that we wouldn't know from looking at your LinkedIn profile. Um, well, since I was a very little girl, um, I've been horse mad. Um, my parents tried to drag me away from any contact with horses, but I just kept getting drawn back to it. And uh, my dad always calls it the lure of the mineral. Um, so I have two of my own that I keep at home and I absolutely adore spending time with them and riding and, and competing when I can. And then I also love to travel. I love to ski. Um, and my children are now better skiers. Which is a bit embarrassing. But I can't wait to all that, as I'm sure lots of other people feel the same way. It's been kind of a, a sad time to be locked in, really, and miss all that. So it'll be even sweeter when we get it back, I think. Fantastic. Carolyn, it's been fascinating having you with us today. I hope our listeners have found this as insightful as I have. You can find out lots more about the Customer Experience Foundation at cxfo.org. We thank you for joining us at the Customer Experience Foundation today, and we hope you can join us next time on The Big Interview.